0: You're listening to the CyberWire Network, powered by N2K. Welcome to Afternoon Cyber Tea with Ann Johnson, where we talk with some of the biggest security influencers in the industry about what is shaping the cyber landscape and what should be top of mind for the C suite and other key security decision makers. I'm Ann Johnson. And today we're going to talk about the business side of cybersecurity, both how the business has evolved and the state of play today. It is expected that by the year 2022, the cost of cybercrime to the global economy will be $8 trillion. And while today the cost of a single data breach to a company is nearly $4 million, the monetary cost is only one part of the damage that comes from a data breach. My guest today, Art Caviello, has a wide-ranging perspective on the business of cybersecurity and is an expert at assessing business risks related to cyber threats. Formerly the executive chairman of RSA, Art is now a partner at Rally Ventures, a venture capital firm in the Silicon Valley that invests in early-stage business technology companies. Art worked at RSA Security from 1995 until 2015, and he has played key roles in several national cybersecurity initiatives. It was an objective to have Art Caviello on the podcast from early on. Um, Art brings such a long history and perspective to the industry and such a, is such a well-regarded thought leader in the industry. I knew the depth and breadth of the conversation we could have would be very expansive, and I was really excited, actually, to have him as a guest. Thanks for joining me today, Art. My pleasure, Ann. I, when I hear 1995, it makes me feel even older than I think I
1: am. <laughs> I think Cyber T is is a is a cool name for this, but um, I got to tell you, when I'm I'm talking about some of the. Uh, some of these topics. I, I need something a little stronger than tea.
0: I think we all do. And by the way, I was informed by my teenage child, um, I didn't even know the reference about spilling the tea, which I guess is um, related to you know gossip. And she said, oh, you named your you know cyber gossip. And I'm like, well, that wasn't the intent. The intent was I drink a lot of tea. But anyway.
1: All righty, let's get to it.
0: So Art, as you've seen the evolution of cyber threats and response throughout your time in the industry, can we talk a little bit about the changing characteristics of cyber attacks? over the years. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that the 1980s attacks were more pranks and the 1990s were about monetization or diversification of types of attacks. And we've seen a lot of weaponization in the 21st century. So I'd love to get your perspective on that.
1: I actually do a lot of, uh, of discussions with CISOs and, and help them communicate to boards. And, and I'm glad you uh, you started here because I use a, a timeline to help them um Help boards understand why things are the way they are. And, you know, I, I actually think it, it really wasn't until we saw a, a, a tremendous increase in the number of web applications, uh, in the early part of, uh, of this century, the first decade that, that really cybercrime took off. And, you know, within, within a span of about five years from like 2003 to like 2008, you know there is a, a whole ecosystem of of attackers uh, that developed and we've seen attacks over the last 20 years go from intrusive uh to disruptive to uh truly destructive uh, attacks and and when you talk about weaponization one of the things i didn't anticipate was how social media could be weaponized and and i don't just mean in terms of uh of social engineering type attacks but I'm, I'm talking about misinformation. We've seen it in the Russian um, hacking of our, our election and how they use social media. But but also, I I think it, we're not far away from seeing uh, nefarious businesses uh, attack uh, legitimate companies with uh, with misinformation on social media. I I think that's the next thing we'll see.
0: You know, it's interesting because I was talking to um, another. Um, Person on the podcast earlier when we were just talking about um, social engineering, but one of the comments that um, I made was that in the past when somebody has put something in their you know social media that maybe wasn't fantastic, and then later they said, "Hey, I was hacked, and you think about the potential for you know both deep fakes but also people to allege something was a deep fake that they potentially did themselves don't want to own up to. Do you think that we'll see a time – I'm going to ask you the same question I asked her – but do you think we'll see a time when when your social media content, and particularly from a business account, right, will need to be signed or there will need to be some type of non-repudiation so that you know it both wasn't a deep fake and you also know it was the real person if you need to know that?
1: I I think that's an excellent idea. I mean, mean, look, we could spend the entire time we have uh, talking about issues around social media and the responsibility of, of the companies that, uh, that, that purvey these products. Um, you know, I, I could go, go on and on, you know, I, I will say, and not, not just because I'm talking to you, I, I think Microsoft has been very responsible, uh, with, uh, with their use of, of social media and, and their acquisition of, uh, of the companies involved in it. Uh, but that isn't the case with all the vendors.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So I'm, I want to get, go to kind of the beginning, right? And talk about the lore of how companies like RSA or security dynamics even got started in this business. And you might have to, you might have to educate the audience a little bit about RSA versus security dynamics. So, you
1: know, th- thinking back uh, when, um, you know, I, I left a, an internet working company right at the, right at the dawn of the, the, the internet, when the internet started to, to really take off in, in 95. And I came to what was then security dynamics uh that's that was basically the token company secure id and we acquired RSA about 6 months uh after that um and uh and back then you know there was authentication encryption antivirus intrusion detection firewalls and and the early stages of vpns and that was about it i mean there were maybe 20 pops 50 security companies, um, and at the RSA conference just last week, there were over 700, I think, uh, trade show booths with uh, with security companies, and and there's roughly about 3,500 security companies today. So it's it's just gotten crazy in the last. Uh, 25 years since I, I first started at what was then Security Dynamics, and it's now RSA.
0: So why why do you think that is? Why do you think there's been this huge proliferation of security companies? And yet, when I talk to customers, they still don't feel in a lot of ways that they're inherently very secure. Well, there, there's a couple of reasons. The, the, uh, the te- technology, the, the
1: digital age moved so quickly that no one vendor could keep up with what was was going on, um, so there was a need for for constant in- innovation, and as companies um, developed newer solutions for the ever expanding attack surface and the ever increasing sophistication of the threats and the the attacks, solutions became more and more granular. You know that was followed by an incredible investment of venture money because security was quote unquote. Base and, and there was a lot of money being made. We're at the point now, though, um, as, as I look at it, and, and as I look at it as an investor, that uh, that we are uh, more and more um, taking on uh, a little bit of the uh, of the of the aspect of uh, of uh, the biotech business being outsourced researched for uh, for pharmaceutical companies. So you see these bigger security companies or or big vendors like uh, like Microsoft or or IBM or or Cisco that acquire uh, a lot of these these companies as as they uh, as they start to get traction, because, again, no one company can kind of keep up with the innovation required for the expansion of the attack service. So I think that's driven it. Um, clearly, though, we're different from biotech because, you know, you develop a drug, it's binary. Either it works or it doesn't. There's an FDA. Whereas in security, uh, yeah, the capital is a lot less. I mean, significantly less in order of magnitude. But there, there's uncertainty as to whether or not the acquired technology is actually going to, uh, to develop in the way the acquiring company thinks it, it may in terms of the marketplace. Uh, and then you have the uh, the other aspect of of social uh, of uh, I'm sorry of uh, private equity coming in, and I, I tease the private equity guys. I, I thank them very much for cleaning up the mistakes that we as venture capitalists make by uh, by acquiring the companies that don't seem to get acquired by uh, by the bigger vendors. But you, you, you'll notice that very few companies uh, end up going public, and very few companies um, reach over a billion. Uh, in in revenue as, as standalone companies um, sooner or later they get acquired by one of the bigger companies
0: and yeah and and that's certainly a pattern we've seen right that race to a billion but also you know deciding if you're an IP or be acquired or you're just going to even cease to exist at some point in time. But how do, you know, so, so I want to pull that thread just a little bit further. How do you then customers keep up, right? What is your pragmatic guidance to a customer that's looking at the um, varied tools and varied threats, and how do they operationalize what they've acquired?
1: Um, they're, they're, they're as flummoxed uh, as, as you could possibly imagine. I, I was talking to uh, – um, a CISO, uh, probably about nine months ago, of one of the major money center banks in, in New York. And he was saying to me, he said, you know, the whole vendor landscape has, has changed for him. Uh, he said, you know, when I had a problem, uh, with any product from RSA art, I, I could call you. And I said, yeah, I, I recall. Um, and, but you'd get a fixed, And I said, yep, I recall. Uh, he said, "Today, I don't know who the CEOs are of a, of a lot of these, uh, a lot of these companies, and everything is moving so quickly, and the the threats and demands on me are such that I have a pipeline of a hundred different uh, prospective vendors. And once a tool loses its efficacy, I just yank it out because it's all on subscription, and it's next vendor up." And, and I plug in a, a new and more sophisticated solution. So that's what you've you've seen. But even even with, with a, a big money center bank having the capacity to be able to do that, and, and some of these banks have literally dozens, if not even hundreds of people evaluating new technologies. What do you think happens to, to the non-Fortune 500 companies, what, what I call the unfortunate 5,000 that don't have the resources, when even the bigger ones have a hard time managing all of the vendors that they have. So it is and will continue to be a, a significant problem. That's why managed security service providers have, have, um, have gotten to be in vogue, but even they have trouble scaling. So there's a massive problem out, out there around scalability and, and performance.
0: Yeah, and I agree. And I wonder how, so going to the vendor side then, how do these cybersecurity providers, and I obviously have some perspective from Microsoft where we're trying to reduce the complexity and natively bake in the solutions and provide an end-to-end coverage. But park a company with the size and scale of Microsoft for a moment and talk about how the other providers actually are keeping up with the evolving threats and what you're seeing in the landscape because the threats are changing really fast. and Customers are challenged. So are the technology companies that are providing solutions. So let me just touch on, on Microsoft for,
1: for a moment. Um, you know, one of the things that, that Microsoft does do particularly well is they build security into their products, uh, as well as having a, a security portfolio of, of, of products. So, you know, that's kind of job one. Um, an, an ounce of prevention is is well worth the uh, a pound of security vendors. So you know that's that's kind of where you have to start. Having said that, um, you still need uh, security uh, vendors to cover all the interactions you have with the uh, with the attack surface that's that's available today. It's quite difficult for not only the uh, the CISO to figure out what to do, but it's it's even more difficult at some level. Uh, for vendors to figure out how to get to market and rise above the noise that is that is out there. Um, not only that, we talk about skill shortage with security operations people, but there's an incredible skill shortage for salespeople. There's an incredible s- skill shortage for marketing people. There's a skill shortage for engineering talent. So everybody's fighting with every everybody else and trying to break through the noise uh, and, and get to, uh, and get to companies, I, uh, and get to customers. And, and I, I say this to, to my companies all the time. You have to break through in a, in a relatively short space of time and raise enough capital to do that. Because if you don't break through fast enough and get traction and get what I call escape velocity, uh, and growth, there's going to be someone coming along that's going to, uh, out-innovate you. Um, and, and that's why the bigger security vendors have to be constantly acquiring technology. Again, back to this biotechnology that I used. If they're not acquiring innovation, uh, then uh, then they're not going to get there. Um, when when I was at RSA, we acquired a company, and you know they were uh, somewhat apprehensive about being taken over by a, a big security company. And when I went to talk to the employees, they said, you know, why did you have to buy us? I mean we were doing fine, um, how how come you can't innovate um, on your own? And I, I pointed out to them that we did innovate and I gave them a couple of examples. I said, but we can't innovate in all the ways we would like to. And I said, we have something that you don't have as a startup. And I said, customers. And I said, those customers want linear improvements to the solution that they've bought. And we have to spend a lot of our R&B money just keeping pace with the products that we have and keep refreshing them. So it's a challenge to uh, to innovate. So that's, uh, that's what these other vendors are up against.
0: I think it is. And then when you think about it, and I want to shift a little bit and talk. I want to talk about ransomware for a couple of minutes, Art, because... It's something that we're seeing that the attackers are taking advantage of a of, of what I call commercial off the shelf malware tools. They have a good return on investment. They're attacking industries that have a lot of technical debt and don't have a lot of resources, like state and local government or education or healthcare, and. As- I'm going to say, and I'm going to include us in this, we haven't done a fantastic job helping our customers write right defenses um, to, to prevent against these types of attacks. So I'd love to get your perspective on ransomware, but also what other trends you may be seeing that the attackers are launching out. Yeah, I uh, I
1: got to tell you, I, I have an answer for almost everything, but uh, ransomware really, really perplexes me because um, – it's, it's just too easy, um, and we, we've got to do a better job with, uh, with backup and, and recovery. I, I don't see another way around it um, because ransomware is exactly what you said. It, it's easy to, to get off-the-shelf malware. It, it's it's kind of easy to, to perpetrate, and, boy, you, you get it at, at some level of critical infrastructure or, or medical uh, services. Um, or even financial services, for that matter, and, and you cripple uh, a company's capability to operate. Um, so we, we have to do a better job understanding what our vulnerabilities are. We have to do a better job with artificial intelligence to, to see the signal and the noise that, that a ransomware attack is, is on its way. Uh, but I, I think more important than anything, we we have to do a better job at the back end with uh, with being able to uh, to recover and and with uh, with redundancy. I I wish I could see a, a way out of it, but um, it is the reason why ransomware has been uh, has been so effective. You know, several years back, I predicted that we would see uh, nation states start attacking uh, individual uh, companies, and within like a couple of months. Um, North Korea attacked uh, attacked Sony um, I really I really and truly think you're going to see an escalation uh in uh, in government um, in in government type uh, attacks um, the, you know it, it when the United States spends um, outspends everybody else on the planet by a, a factor of 5 uh on on defense um, boy, oh boy, is uh, is an internet attack the great equalizer uh, for uh, for nation states, and and the amount of uh, of economic damage that can be done, uh, the amount of economic espionage, uh, the theft of intellectual property. I just see that continuing to to accelerate, and and when when you add in, I just see more and more attacks on on infrastructure happening from uh, from companies. And I, I hate to have a, a dystopian view about it, but um, but we really we really need to have what what uh, your President Brad uh, Smith talked about was a, a Geneva Convention uh, around this, and and not just with the Western countries. We need all countries to uh, to subscribe to something because. Otherwise, uh, we're going to have chaos.
0: Yeah, I, I, and by the way, I don't disagree. And as you you may or may not remember, I was a storage person before I, you know, working for the other great uh, Boston-based company, Data General, before I became a security person. So I've been, uh, I'm have beating the drum also about not just doing backups, but making sure you can recover from those backups and making sure customers test. And I always try to throw some... A proactive guidance into these uh, podcasts. So that's my piece of guidance. Don't just back up. Make sure you can test and recover those. Products. There you go. Nice going. Sadia talks a lot about what we call tech intensity and that we think companies that succeed will closely partner and information share with their customers. And one example of this is the Volkswagen automotive cloud built on Microsoft's Azure cloud and the IOT edge platform for connected and autonomous cars. And Microsoft provided the initial engineering consulting here. It's a joint effort governed by an exec council with business and technical leaders from both companies. So when you think about that in relationship to the cybersecurity field, do you think there's an opportunity for the technology companies to be sharing with our customers, as well as public-private sector and developing partnerships even with our competitors? And how do you actually think about that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I look at – collaboration is, is like motherhood in in business. It's, it's, how do you, how do you do it? So it's a a win-win. You know, someone described, uh, you know, interactions with, uh, with Chinese partners uh, and attempting to have a win-win. And they said a win-win in China is China wins twice. Uh, So, so we, we really need to have collaborations that are are mutually Uh, beneficial. But again, I I get back to how um, not just 5G, but just the the ongoing uh, march of of digital technology is just going to increase um, how every single thing in business, every organization is so profoundly affected by digital technology um, that security needs to be, uh, need, needs to be built in and we need to partner with, uh, with security companies and, and vendors. I couldn't endorse what you're saying a- anymore. I, I think it's, uh, it's critically important.
0: That's great. And I want to give a moment for you to talk about, um, you know, you're, you're, uh, you've, a, a much sought after board director. People want your advice and you're with the VC firm who's, you know, giving funding and evaluating companies. Um, What do you think that's encouraging? What are you seeing in the cybersecurity landscape as we look forward, whether it's new technology trends or the way people are behaving or the way companies are acting? What really gives you optimism for the future? You know, I I have a lot of confidence
1: and faith in a a generation that has grown up with technology uh, that they will be innovative enough. Um, I I said a number of years ago at, at one of my RSA conference keynotes um, that we needed to be able to solve for the unknown, unknown uh, attacks. I was channeling my inner Donald Rumsfeld. And, and what I meant by that is is that we had to have capabilities um, that could anticipate attacks um, or at the, at the very least um, spot what I call the signal in, in the noise that in an attack, the attacker has to do something anomalous and if we have if we have enough compute power uh if we have uh an, enough uh bandwidth uh and enough data analytics uh that we can see these things fast enough to uh, to be able to stop them even even without the benefit of having seen the attack before again i have tremendous confidence in in this generation and i have uh also um at some point um, I, I think the, the West and especially the United States uh, will do a better job with public-private par- partnerships. Uh, Winston Churchill famously said, you can count on the Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. So I, I think it's time that we did have a more effective public-private partnership, starting with, uh, with the aspect of privacy, but continuing into information sharing and, and jointly developing a defense so uh,
0: ultimately, I am an optimist. Art, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us. And um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I know that, you know, as an, you're so respected in the industry. I appreciate you making the time for my podcast. Well, thanks, Dan. It was, it was actually my
1: pleasure to, to be on it. Thank you.
0: My key takeaway from the episode with Art was that we are certainly in a state where cyber attacks are increasing rapidly and it's difficult for the industry to keep pace. But you know, Art talked about his optimism. Optimism about the generations coming behind us that are going to actually make innovative solutions to solve cyber threats. They're looking at problems differently. And as I think about what is needed, we definitely need diverse thoughts and diverse folks to actually look at cybersecurity problems differently because the problems are really hard. And when you bring in that kind of background and you bring in folks with fresh ideas, I know we can get better. Thank you to our audience for joining Afternoon Cyber Tea. Look forward to seeing you next time. This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Podcast, we're talking scumbots with Paul Melson. Believe me, you're gonna wanna hear this. Be sure to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.